Welcome back to the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. This is Jonathan here with Sean. Uh, we're going to go over, I think, the final kind of big decisions to be made have now been made. Uh, Kofi Coburn is officially going back. We touched on it last week, uh, but he is now he's now going back. Uh, we've got Marcus Carr heading to Texas. We've got Jane Shackelford coming back. So, I mean, all the big decisions pretty much have been made. Uh yeah, there's a few, I guess, like Keith Williams, a uh, di- couple different decisions still out there. But, I mean, for the most part, we have college basketball is pretty much set. I mean, minus a couple things. Yeah, the rosters are mostly set. Players are practicing uh, almost, or I guess now all of the coaches are in their spots with uh, Mark Gottfried no longer being the head coach at Cal State Northridge. Uh, shocker. But yeah, so we're pretty much all ready to go for the college basketball season. All we just have to do is wait for November 9th and then we're there. Absolutely. I guess we'll get, we, we can still do, uh, we, we'll touch on uh, the NBA draft. We'll have that, I guess, a little more than a week from t- when we're recording this. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be. Congrats to Sam Merrill. Congrats to Sam Merrill, Jordan Nora, uh, Mama D. D. Kite. Congrats on Stratford. I didn't even know he's on the Bucks, honestly. The the only reason I know he's on the Bucks is because like you see in the background, like this six ten guy with white hair, and it's like, oh mama DD Kite's on the Bucks. I guess he won a G League championship too, I uh heard. I didn't know that the Bucks G League team won or I don't know if they have a G League team. He might have been on a different G League team, but Whatever G League team Diakite was on, they won the championship. Yeah, so Mama Diakite, if if you want to win a championship, you need to sign this guy. He's a winner. He may not do Everywhere. anything, but he wins. I mean, he, just, he, he may. Hey, they they don't. Virginia doesn't win the national title without him. That is true. They they instead, as Kia Clark probably throws the ball to Jack Salt, and he Jack can't make Salt that. who misses a who has it go breaking off his hands and Purdue celebrates a Final Four berth. Jack Salt was so bad. Although I I think Jack Salt might have been... Was Jack Salt in on that play? I feel like he's... I don't think so. I don't remember him playing like at all during that run. I think he just got benched. I think he he played played 34 minutes against Purdue. Yeah, what? he was in. I think they put him in to offensive rebound. Yeah, that makes sense. He played like 12, let's see, I'm bad at math, uh, 15, 7. He played 20 minutes combined in all the other NCAA tournament games, but played 34 against Purdue. Oh, Purdue, I'll say, like, they're just kind of trying to hammer Purdue inside. Plus, I think... Uh, Hunter may have gotten in foul trouble or something. I don't exactly remember that game other than it being just Kyle Guy, Carson Edwards, Ty Jerome literally making everything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how he got that many minutes. I mean, Kia Clark played the least minutes as the starters, so. Yeah. So maybe, maybe he got Kihei's minutes. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, but I guess let's let's dive into college basketball. Uh, we, we'll touch on the NBA draft. 
we've got to start with the biggest decision uh, from maybe the biggest player. It's Kofi Coburn. He's deciding he's going to return to Illinois for next season. The Illinois Fighting Illini are now going to be very good. Uh, I would hesitate. Top three or four in the Big Ten and definitely a top 25 team. I've seen some people saying they're not a top 25 team. They absolutely are. I don't know. They are. Yeah. Some people say they are. They, they are. Uh, Kofi Coburn, he's a monster inside. Uh, probably going to average 20 points, 10 rebounds, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, and, yeah, he's he's very good. And uh, the team's going to be very good, even though they do lose Ayodosumnu. Kofi Coburn's probably a preseason first-team All-American going in next season. Oh, without question. You look at what Illinois was able to do last season, even without Io DeSumo. I mean, he missed a few games with that facial uh, fracture or whatever he had, uh, and then he had to come back with the mask. But they destroyed Michigan, a really good Michigan team that ended up giving Illinois the third number one seed. They don't have that third number. They're not the third one seed without that. It would have been Michigan. Obviously, both ended up being one seed, so it didn't matter. But Illinois destroyed Michigan in that game without Io DeSumo. They're not going to have him at all this season, but I still think they're going to be really good. I mean, Kofi Coburn is such a difference maker because if you let him get post positioning, if you let him set a screen and then roll to the basket, it's going to be an easy lob, something Illinois did endless amount of times last season. Just the issues he has is, you know— offensively he doesn't have that many I mean he's just not a shooter so like whatever he's a bit limited but that's kind of it that's not as much of an issue in college basketball as it is in the NBA which is why he'll probably never play in the NBA but his biggest issue is defense I mean defense outside of protecting the rim and he's not a great shot blocker he's just a big body and he can just you know it's hard to score over a big dude like that but once you get him on like the outside like 10 to 10 feet He's not going to be able to defend you, especially if it's in like a pick and roll situation. It's going to be a free bucket. I mean, Cameron Crowick showed that in the Loyola Chicago game. It's going to be an easy bucket every time. Yeah, and the the kind of good thing is they the the one thing is Illinois like does a good enough job pressuring the you know guards, and then other other teams they face and kind of like in the Big Ten especially uh, a league where pretty much all the Big guys are like back to the basket bigs. I mean, that's he's going to thrive in that because, you know, you saw Cameron Quig kind of like more mobile uh, big man was able to do more. Like most of the guys, like you look across the Big Ten, you've got Hunter Dickinson. What does he do? He goes back to the basket, low post, tries to score on you. Travion Williams, same thing. Uh, you know, Luca Garza did the same thing last year. Uh, Ohio State probably is their matchup. EJ Lydell's like more mobile. They have Kyle Young. Uh, I guess is kind of maybe a little bit more mobile. Uh, you know, Quaidez Wahab at Maryland. Maryland, I think, is going to be at least a tournament team. He does mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. So, I mean, a lot of the guys, uh, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, kind of not really a he can get by. He can get by Kofi. Yeah, but I mean, most. Also, like if he gets, if he gets switched onto a guard, though, that's that's a free bucket. Yeah, 
That's probably the biggest issue. Like, he can't switch on anybody. Yeah. But the, he does do, like, a good job in the drop. Like, if you get a pick and roll, it, it's really just, like, you have kind of an open shot over Kofi. Because he kind of just drops back as opposed to stepping up. Yeah, it's just like his his lack of his lack of you know mobility is his biggest issue. I mean that that's without question what I mean the shooting's a problem too in terms of NBA circles, but his lack of mobility is definitely his biggest problem. Yeah, but I mean may, maybe he becomes more mobile like the kind of comparison you would give to Kofi Coburn's like. Yudoka Azabuke. Yudoka Azabuke, by his senior year, was pretty mobile and able to kind of block shots in the perimeter. So maybe he develops that foot speed. But either way, like offensively, I mean, he, as mentioned, I think I mentioned this last week on the pod, he made Luka Garza look small. And Luka Garza is a big dude. He made, you know, Hunter Dickinson look small. Like he is just a physical presence. And as long as he's, on the court, you can pr- as long as you know he gets one-on-one coverage, he's going to probably score pretty efficiently. And the other thing too, like he missed a lot of, like he only shot 65%. It felt like he probably missed a bunch of like he went two 214 out of 327. I mean he probably missed like 25 shots. Oh, on field goals. He probably has oh, like 25 shots that like were like easy layups that he just missed. So I mean, he's got to clean those up. But I mean, he's still going to be just a monster inside, and I, I think that's perfect what you need if you're Illinois. And then obviously from the foul line, I mean, 55 percent. There's worse. I mean, he. I don't know what like down the stretch it had to have been like 20 percent because. I, it was weird. It's like some of it was probably fatigue late in games, but at the same time, he was kind of just like it seemed like he was changing his free throw stroke after he missed like four of them. But you just have to keep doing the same thing every time. Changing it's not going to make it any better. Yeah, uh, that's kind of weird though. Like he shot sixty-seven percent from the line his freshman year. So I mean, he can make free throws. It's not like he can't make free throws. It's just he didn't last year. I mean, yeah, if you look at what his free throw motion looked like two years ago compared to last year, it's noticeably different. Yeah. Get back, get back in the gym two hours a day on free throws. Come on, Kofi. I mean, he's not Hassan French bad, but it's not good. Yeah. But I mean, if you can shoot, like, 67% as opposed to 55%, like, Make two out of three free throws. That's 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 efficient. Like one point, I think that's like one point three three points per possession every time he gets fouled inside on the two point line. If he makes sixty seven, that's some good math right there. Yeah. So, I mean that that's a good uh, that's a good offensive possession. Whereas, mm-hmm. like fifty five percent, it's like. Uh, that's not really helping us too much. 
Yeah, and my final point on Illinois here, I'm not really buying that Andre Corbello is, like, the best guard in the country, like some Illinois fans have said. But uh, I think he's really good. He's got to become a better shooter. He's got to be a little bit more careful with the ball. He has a few too many turnovers, a few too many flashy plays that turn into turnovers. But the biggest player for Illinois, for me, is going to be Alfonso Plummer. He can absolutely get buckets when he gets going. He's hard to defend. You know, he's really quick. He can come off a screen and hit a shot. He can handle the ball a little bit and get his own shot. He just does a lot, brings a lot to the table. He's probably going to be the sixth man for Illinois. But if he's like second or third in points on the team, it wouldn't surprise me because he is an absolute bucket getter. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Illinois going to be good. Top 25 team. Yeah, I think we, we've covered that. Uh, and we covered it on the last podcast too. Uh, but that, now it's time. We got to ask the question again, is Texas back? They get Marcus Carr, uh, who at the end of the day was kind of like choosing between playing overseas and playing at Texas. He chose Texas, and Texas could, is – they have too much depth. Uh, I There's mean, never such thing as too much depth. Yeah, they, they need a few injuries. Like, But, I mean, Marcus Carr's a star. Uh you know, Courtney Ramey's certainly very good. Andrew Jones led the team in scoring last year, I think. Uh, Timmy yeah. Allen, very good. Dylan DeSue, very good. Trey Mitchell's very good. Uh, Christian Bishop is a very good player. Then they have, like, Devin Askew, who probably committed too early because he, he might not get a ton of playing time. He Jaylen could. Tyson, he could. Jalen Tyson is uh, like one of those four slash five star recruits, and Brock Cunningham, I mean, elite glue guy, might be the tenth man on the team. I mean, that's how deep mm-hmm. Texas is. Yeah, Texas is incredibly deep, and I've seen a lot of people kind of criticize Marcus Carr and be like, "Well, he doesn't pass." That's not true. Marcus Carr had six point seven assists two years ago on a on a Minnesota team that wasn't very good. And last year on a Minnesota team that wasn't very good, he had five assists per game. So it's not he's not some guy that just takes a bunch of wild shots. He takes his shots for sure, but he's a good table setter. This isn't a guy that, you know, is like, I don't know, Remy Martin. He's not like Remy Martin. He's not like Mac McClung. He can actually pass. So, like, I think that's being a little bit overstated. And when you look at what Marcus Carr did last season, he did indeed struggle down the stretch quite a bit shooting-wise from three. But early in the season, like, he was killing it. I mean, against Iowa, against some of the non-conference games, uh, you look at the Michigan State game, he was really good. And then just kind of after that, he kind of started fading away. But he was really good for a chunk of last season, the non-conference and the first couple conference games. And then, you know, as the team started to struggle, he started to struggle. You look at a guy like Gabe Kalsher. He struggled all last season, and he got hurt now at Iowa State. Liam Robbins dealt with some injuries. There just wasn't a lot around Marcus Carr at Minnesota. So I think next season, on a much better team, like you said, a ton of depth. They're gonna, He's going to be really good. He's probably going to shoot like 38%, 39% from deep, 44%, 45% from the field, average like 15 to 16 points, maybe six or seven assists. He's going to be a potential All-American next season. I absolutely love the Marcus Carr addition in Austin. Yeah, and they, the other thing, too, with Marcus Carr is at Minnesota, like, he was the, with Gabe Kalsher being uh, quite awful for a lot of last season, and Liam Robbins probably wasn't 
quite as good as you have liked. Uh, he missed some games as well. I mean, Minnesota was late in the season, dealt with some injuries. They were a bad basketball team. And bad. I mean, Marcus Barn, Carr Minnesota had, was a thing, though, briefly. Yeah. And Marcus Carr had to do almost everything. And, you know, when you're doing almost everything for, like, a month or two, you can almost, like, just get away with being that great of a player. Uh, but eventually, mm-hmm. like, especially in a Big Ten where, like, you don't get a night off, that starts to wear on you. I think it started to kind of wear on Marcus Carr that he kind of – he was having to do everything. He was averaging, uh, like, 36 minutes a game, having to score all the shots, take all the shots. I mean, that that's why his efficiency dropped. It wasn't because he's a bad player. It's because he had to do everything. So now he goes to Texas. He'll be the starting point guard. Uh, he's the best point guard in the roster. Uh, but then, I mean, you have Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones on the guard to help him out. You've got Timmy Allen, Dylan DeSue. Uh, you've got Trey Mitchell. Like, you have all these types of players who are, like, top 100-level players in college basketball. You don't have to, you know, do everything uh, for the team. And I think that's going to be certainly very beneficial because now he can say, okay, I'm going to take – you know, some possessions off. I don't have to score. I don't have to play 40 minutes a game. And that's going to be beneficial and going to lead to him playing much better. Yeah. uh, So if you were to look at this Minnesota team last season, and I asked you a question, how many of them shot above 32% from deep? What would you say? On, On the entire roster, Marcus Carr included. I'll say two. I'll go Zero is the answer. We're including Marcus Carr? Yeah, he shot 31.7. Oh. Um, See, I would have guessed Brandon Johnson. That was a trick question. Yeah, Brandon Johnson, I'm not sure he made a three after that Iowa game. He shot uh, 25% from three. Not good. The team lead was Trey Williams at... Uh, who played, you know, a, a solid bench role. He had, he was 32.9. Uh, Liam Robbins was 32.7. Carr was 31.7. And then after that, you're looking at uh, Booth Gotch and Jamal Mashburn Jr. tied at 27%. Yeah. That's terrible. That That's awful. Yeah, it is. That team was bad at the end of last season. I don't know how they were good. I mean, we kind of all just bought into Barn, Minnesota, I feel like. But in reality, that team was never good. Well, they dominated at home. Uh, Liam Robbins was good early in the season. And Marcus Carr was, I mean, maybe we should, yeah. He was very. I mean, there, there was a point in last year where we're like, okay, so the top three in the National Player of the Year voting is going to be Luca Garza, Ron Harper Jr., and Marcus Carr. That was a thing. I mean, it just didn't end that way. Yeah. I mean, Big Ten was stacked until I mean, the yeah. NCAA tournament. Uh, the Conference of Champions got to them. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Texas – Texas, I mean, I, I, I'm st- I've been all on the Kansas bandwagon. I, I think I might put Texas number one. I, I'm going to, you know, heavily consider In that. the country? Or it, in, in the Big 12. I'm just still going to have Gonzaga number one. But, I mean, Big 12 is loaded next year. You've got Texas, 
you've got Kansas, you've got Baylor, who we both think is going to be good. Do do we want to you know go in to talk about Musa Cisse? Uh, skip Let's do it. Skip uh, Jen Shackelford. I guess we can talk about him a little bit later. But I mean, yeah. Oklahoma State now they add in Musa Cisse, who former five star recruit, didn't really have a great season last year. Uh, but I mean, he steps into a role where he can just kind of come in, play the center, uh, block shots, and you know, for this Oklahoma State team, they have Avery Anderson, they've got Rondell Walker, they've got Isaac Likely. You know what you're going to get out of that three-headed monster. Now they add in Bryce Thompson, who uh, former five-star recruit. They've got Musa Cisse, former five-star recruit. I like them taking chances on like these five-star recruits that. That didn't necessarily have good years a season ago, but have potential to have good seasons this year. Yeah, definitely. I like what Cissé brings to the table, and you know what he's going to bring to the table. He's going to defend. He's going to block shots. But offensively, he's an absolute disaster. I mean, there was points last year where he was just, you know, even at the rim, he was missing some easy shots. But he shot 32% from the foul line. That is Hassan French bad. Like, 24 for 74. I mean, that's like Hassan French level for sure. So that's got to improve next season at Oklahoma State. But I think Mike Boynton has a really good squad on his hands. A definite tournament team, unless that ban ends up happening next season. But Rondell Walker is going to be really good. Avery Anderson is going to be really good, like you said. Caleb Boone and Keelan Boone, both are solid pieces. And then Matthew Alexander Moncrief. I feel like he gets lost in this mix a little bit when you add Musa Cisse. But I think a guy like M.A. Moncrief is going to play a pretty big role once again next season. The Cowboys are pretty deep. I think they're going to make some noise next season. I don't know if they'll be ranked in the preseason for me. They're not at the moment. But I think they're a tournament team without question. Yeah, definitely a tournament team. Uh, I, I think a big thing is going to be how big of a step can Avery Anderson take forward uh, if he can you know, really become that like go-to scorer. I mean, that, that's exactly what they need. They need him to, like, be the lean guy. And then I think Rondell Walker will kind of step into being, you know, a number two guy. Bryce Thompson can be a number two guy. Isaac Likely, you know, I don't think is ever going to be, like, a go-to scoring option. But, like, he's a, he's a plus when he's on the court just because he defends, because he uh, is a good passer uh, and can drive to the paint. Uh, I mean – I like that kind of four-headed monster at the backcourt. I like Caleb Boone. He's really solid inside. Probably going to start, I would say, uh, maybe at the five. Uh, and then you have Musa Cisse, who I guess theoretically, if he becomes better than Caleb Boone, can start at the five, which, I mean, that's not a bad problem to have. And then, you of course, uh, you have M.A. Moncrief. You can go you know, small, play Keelan Boone. Some minutes at the four, you can have Isaac Likely play at the four. I mean, there's a lot of optionality with this Oklahoma State roster. Versatility, definitely a lot of versatility on this Oklahoma State roster. Yeah, and they, they could go a number of different ways uh, just with this roster. And who starts in it could just depend on the matchup. Like some nights they you're playing a guard-oriented team, and you play Isaac Likely at the four for the entire game. Some nights you, you know, you're playing super big, and Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone playing at the four and the five ends up working. 
Uh, it just mm-hmm. it'll depend who they play, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, I guess let, let's stay in the Big 12. We'll go uh, talk about Kevin O'Banner, and then we'll hit on uh, Jane Shackelford. Uh, say, save one of the best for last. Uh, so Kevin O'Banner, he's off to Texas Tech. Uh, the Red Raiders now, they, they have a really solid team. Terrence Shannon coming back is certainly big for them. Uh, Kevin McCuller is certainly uh, a very good option at the guard. They have so much, you know, optionality, uh, you know, just different players they could play at the guard spot. Then you have Kevin O'Banner, who arguably best pick and pop big in the country. Uh, Texas Tech also going to be very good. Borderline top 25 team. I think they're it's them and Oklahoma State four and five in the Big 12 for me. But yeah, Texas Tech also going to be very good. And credit to Mark Adams. Picking up the pieces and gonna have a good team at least in year one of the Mark Adams era. Yeah, I have them ranked. The question for me is obviously Kevin O'Banner had a great point guard with Max Aismas last year. Texas Tech doesn't really have a great point guard. You're probably gonna enter the season with Kevin McCullough at the one who hasn't played a ton of point guard, but your other options are Mike Wilson, the transfer from Louisiana, and Clarence Nadalne, who has a, a really good chance to be a breakout player next year but you don't have Max Aismas so how will those situations create themselves for Kevin O'Banner I think they'll come I I think he's more than just a pick and pop guy but you know I think someone will be able to set those situations for him and defenses will be aware that Kevin O'Banner is going to be looking for that but he could also drive he can you know pull up and hit a three if you need him to probably he just brings a lot of a, a versatile offensive skill set to the table He's going to be a really good piece for the Red Raiders next season. And he fills a very good void because this team was not set to be a very good shooting team. They had Sardar Calhoun from Florida State. But besides him, they didn't have a whole lot of shooting. Bryson Williams can step out and hit one. But Kevin O'Banner is instantly like the second best shooter, if not the best shooter on the roster next season. Yeah, Uh, he instantly becomes that. Uh, And for Texas Tech, I mean, they have a lot of you know, depth. You have Kevin O'Banner, who I think will start the four. He would start the four for most teams in college basketball. Uh, he's just that good of a player, and you know his ability to stretch the four at or stretch the floor at the four spot is certainly uh, very valuable. You've got Marcus Sano Silva. You've got Bryson Williams, who will uh, probably play the the five inside. Uh, they both can kind of provide similar skill set. I mean, that's a good front court. You've got Terrence Shannon. Maybe maybe Terrence Shannon ends up being the pick and pop partner cuz he he kind of like he's good enough that like defenses if like a banner sets a screen, defensives might you know take uh like they might double Terrence Shannon and then that leaves O'Banner open to pop open for a three. So maybe Terrence Shannon ends up being the pick and pop partner. Uh, Kevin McCuller, yeah, I think is better just as a driver. I don't know if he's a great option at the point guard, but maybe it's Terrence Shannon taking a step forward. Uh, Clarence Ndole, as you mentioned, I mean, they have a lot of options. Um, you know, they have some shooting. They have, you know, a little bit of everything on this roster and kind of 
I'm going to be interested to see what Mark Adams ultimately does roster wise, who gets the minutes, who doesn't. But I mean, Texas Tech, I think for me, I, I would throw them like in the back end top 25. Um, I haven't actually done like a top 25 poll, but uh, in terms of bracketology, um, let's see. I, yeah, so I have them as a seven seed right now. So they, right there. Yeah, and there's a few guys we haven't even really mentioned yet, like Davion Warren and Adonis Arms, Marcus Santos Silva, who has started like every game the last three years of his college career. So these are all guys that are going to play pretty big roles at some point for Texas Tech, and it definitely just speaks to their depth. I think they're in a I think I have them eighteenth right now fourth in the Big 12, they're going to be in for a very good season. I don't think they're like national championship contenders, but I think they could head to a Sweet 16. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to Alabama. Uh, Jane Shackelford has announced that he's returning. I think it was, when he entered the transfer portal, I, I felt it was kind of surprising. It was like, why is he transferring? And I think he ultimately made the best decision for him, best decision, obviously, for Alabama, because, I mean, Nate Oates, you're not going to get a better system where you can show off your skills than uh, Alabama, because, I mean, you're going to get shots, you're going to play at a high tempo, you're going to get a chance to play make, and Jane Shackelford now coming back, I mean, Alabama, I really like this team going in next season, you've got Jane Shackelford, you've got uh, Javon Quinterly, that's a good one-two punch, then you got got uh, five-star Freshman J.D. Davidson, I mean, that's a three-headed monster of elite guards. You've got Noah Gurley who can pick and pop, stretch the floor. Uh, you've got Namari Burnett who uh, was a former five-star recruit, might be like a sixth or seventh man on this roster. You've got Charles Bidiaku, Jawan Gary, I, I think in for kind of a high upside season. I mean, there's just a lot to like about this Alabama team. And I, I think I will, if I'm doing a top 10, I think they would be like nine or 10 in my rankings. Yeah, for me, they kicked off the uh, offseason ranked fourth with Joshua Primo and Jaden Shackelford. In my most recent ranking, I had them 24th without Shackelford and obviously without Primo because he stayed in the draft. But uh, it was Shackelford, they're probably 14 or 15 for me. I like the roster. I really do. There's a lot of pieces. I just want to see how it plays out. There's a ton of guards. Which guards step up? Will Namari Burnett be the guy that we thought he was going to be at Texas Tech and just wasn't in his eight games that he played? Or will he be, you know, just another guy? J.D. Davison should be really good. And what it, one guy for me, Keon Ellis, I think he fits that mold that Herbert Jones left really well. He can defend. He can shoot. He can do everything on the floor. He's like an extreme glue guy. So I think Keon Ellis is in for a really good season in Tuscaloosa. I think overall this Alabama team is going to be really good because all Nate Oates does is win four of his five years coaching head coaching college basketball. He's made the NCAA tournament at Buffalo and at Alabama, obviously. I think he's in for another really good year. And I think Jaden Shackelford is probably going to lead them in scoring for the third consecutive season. But Javon Quinterly had a really underrated year last year, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up being a potential All-American candidate. Yeah, I, I agree with the Quinterly because, like, late last season, I think in the NCAA tournament game against Iona, like, they were kind of, like, stalled out, and Javon Quinterly was, like, 
I'm going to get get us the buckets. I'm going to lead us to this win. And he did that. And, you know, I think he's someone that certainly I think has been up and down, but he's someone that has kind of slowly been figuring it out, uh, got better and better throughout the season. And uh, I think he's going to be in for a big season next year. Now they almost has a little bit of freedom uh, in the offense, has a little bit more responsibility. Uh, you're not like you almost had to defer a little bit to like a Herb Jones or Jane Shackelford. He doesn't John need Petty. to defer. Yeah, John Petty. You don't need to defer uh, because you're. He, it's either him or Shackelford are the two best players yeah. on the team, and uh, and if he wants to, he can say, you know what, I'm going to become an elite point guard. Uh, set up Shackelford. Set up J.D. Davidson, and he can do that. So I mean. He's going to be very good. Um, yeah, it could. I would say he's probably, since the SEC does like 10 players on their first team all SEC. We don't acknowledge this. All, yeah, he'll be a first team all SEC player on the uh, 10 player list. And probably if they did five, he might be one of the five. Yeah, we don't acknowledge 10 player first team lists on this podcast, though. Yeah, only five. Only five. That's the most you can have. And we also don't acknowledge three team first or three uh, way. What was it? A uh, conference player of the years. Yeah. Two. Two is stretching it. Three is just pick one. Yeah. Like Big East. What are you doing? Come on. Yeah. If you pick like uh, if you're like, oh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Sandro both should be Big East player of the year. And you seen Hall didn't even make the tournament, so yeah. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, that that's it. We're we're breaking the tie. He's my pick. I would say just give it to one of the two Villanova players. I don't care which one. Frankly, I don't even care if Mama Killers Billy won it. Just give it to one of them, and I really don't care. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to Jeremiah Robinson Earl because Gillespie missed valuable Big East tournament games. And uh, with with without Colin Gillespie, they still made the Sweet 16. So we got to take tournament performance into consideration. That's fair. That's fair. So there, there we go. Uh, but yeah, Alabama, they might have two of the, you know, five all-SEC first team players. Yeah, yeah, possible. Because you got, I think, Kentucky might get, like, two on there. Devo Davis will make the team. Uh, Auburn, yeah. Uh, may, uh, maybe uh, they don't. Kessler, Alan Flanagan. Yeah, I don't, eh. It'll be hard. But they we'll can see what that. happens. Yeah. They're, they're at least going to be very good. Should we get into some draft talk? Um, yeah, yeah. It's rapidly approaching, so might as well touch on it a bit. Yeah. Uh, so what we wanted to do is like a little bit of like players we think are being mock draft a little bit too low. Uh, and I I think what we we want to do is like look at like some of the mock drafts out there. Uh, there's certainly a billion out there, and like see what players we think are like. Among the consist- consensus being drafted too low, 
Uh, do you want to start? Yeah, I'll start with Chris Duarte. He should be a consensus lottery pick, a borderline top 10 guy for me because he can shoot the ball really well. He drives. He's a very underrated athlete, and he and he defends. He can defend multiple positions, and I think that's going to translate to the next level. His only real issue is that he's 24, which I guess is an issue, sure. But Chris Duarte, there's not going to be 14 better players in this draft than the Oregon superstar that should have won back to a player of the year. Yeah, I mean, if you're like – hypothetically at golden state at 14 like you can draft like a high upside player theoretically but it would probably be better just to draft like someone you know is going to come in play role from day one and i mean that that's part of why you draft chris duarte because you know he's going to come in he's whether he starts whether he comes off the bench like he's going to play a role being like an elite three and D player. Uh, so I, I mean, Chris Duarte, if you are, I, if you're the Warriors draft at 14, if Chris Duarte is on the, uh, if he's available, I think you have to draft him at that point. Oh, no question. I mean, look, I get if you're a garbage team that's picking like fourth, who picks fourth? Is that Cleveland? No, that's Toronto. Toronto. I mean, yeah, I mean, they suck. They'll pick Jalen Suggs or something like that, and that's fair. Chris Duarte yeah. shouldn't go like top five, but can yeah. he can he go borderline like top ten, like the Kings? The Kings always suck. Draft Chris Duarte. <laughs> that's what I say. Yeah. Um, speaking of, let's let's talk another team that sucks. Uh, the Orlando Magic. Uh, I I would say they should draft Kai Jones. He's He's my kind of like person I think is being sleep, slept on because he has like so much upside, whether you're like the magic, whether you know, maybe the Kings or the, the Hornets or someone like that, like Kai Jones has high upside because you know, you look at him, he's very long athletic, has all of the skills and he makes like one or two plays a game that you're like, that's next. That's like, future NBA all-star type level talent that he's showing. And then, you know, he's very inconsistent, but you're just coming off and I'll segue this kind of to the NBA, like Giannis and Tintincumpo was kind of that exact type player. And he, he struggled early on and then just got better, better worked hard. And now He's won two MVPs and a finals MVP. I don't know if Kai Jones is going to do quite those type things, but he has all the like skill sets you like. He has that guard like, you know, skills. He can shoot the three uh, decently. He, you know, is one of those players that like you get him out in transition. He has like those long, like he can take two strides from half court and get to the rim. Like if I am a team, and, you know, the future's not very bright at all. I would take a, like, just a flyer on Kai Jones and see if it can work out. And if it does, I mean, that, that would pay off because I think he has high upside. Like, if you told me Kai Jones is one of the two, three best players in this draft, I'd believe you. I think he's that level player. Yeah, I definitely agree Kai Jones has a big upside. Here's another guy that I like, Trey Murphy. 
the Virginia forward who also spent time at Rice. Here's the thing about Trey Murphy. A lot of people, he, he had a 50-40-90 season last year, by the way. But a lot of people think he's just a guy that's going to catch and shoot the ball, which is part of his game and one of his most valuable uh, attributes. But one thing he did at Rice a lot that he didn't do at Virginia because it's just not how they play, they did a lot of, like, you know, uh, out of out of bound inbounds plays where where they throw a lob to him and some backdoor lobs. They would do a lot of things like that to get Trey Murphy's athleticism and length involved. Something they didn't really do at Virginia. So I think he brings more than just a spot up shooter. I think he brings a lot more versatility to the table than he gets credit for. Yeah, absolutely. With Trey Murphy, like he's he's six nine and elite three point shooter. Like. What what are we missing here? I I he might not be he's the a wing, most, yeah exactly six nine wing who's an elite shooter. Yeah, he might not be the most athletic player, but like at six nine he can guard you know fours. And if you're getting like a four man to come in play the four and shoot forty percent from three, like sign me up. It, it, you know if you're like the the New York Knicks or the Houston Rockets or LA Lakers like that that's the type of player you need so I mean a, anyone can use a Trey Murphy especially if he's down there like in the 20s mm-hmm. yeah so, Trey Murphy's yeah. awesome um another one I kind of like like Jared Butler I've seen like slipping down into the second round I mean the dudes is just a winner uh he may not like have all the NBA skill sets, but he's an elite shooter. He's a like very good scorer, uh, can make plays off the dribble, can be a point guard, can play off the ball. But the most important thing, like if you are building a culture, you need players who want to win. And Jared Butler like fits all that boxes. Like at at Baylor, he was a winner. He's you know worked hard. He's you know an A plus character type guy. Uh, from all the sounds of it. So, I mean, if you're like Jared Butler, I don't think should be leaving the first round of NBA mock drafts uh, just because of like all the intangibles he brings. Maybe he's not going to be like a future NBA star or anything like that. But uh, at, at the very least, he's going to work his way to being a good role player and he can shoot. He can create shots off the dribble. Like, I don't know if, if you're an NBA team, why you would pass on him being uh, outside? Like if he's in the twenties, I think I would draft him. Yeah, I would too. He can shoot the ball. He can facilitate. He defends at a high level. I think Jared Butler is a really good player. And I'll, I'll do one more here. That's kind of not in mock drafts at all, but Delano Banton from Nebraska, six, nine true point guard. He's a really good passer. He can defend a lot of positions because of his size. He's a solid, he's a fluid athlete. He's not an elite athlete. He's a fluid athlete, but his issue is his shooting. If he becomes an even, you know, passable shooter at like 34%, he's going to carve out a very solid role in the NBA. Yeah, I, I would agree with the, the band. Like, all he needs to do is literally just shoot the ball. And, you know, he, he impressed at Nebraska, which, I mean, that's hard to do. Uh, if you, if you're playing good minutes at Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska was terrible and didn't have a lot of good players to necessarily um, play with. But I mean, Banton, he's, he is a great passer. 
can switch defensively. I mean, what, what else can you want with like a second round pick? And certainly the high upside if he gets that jump shot figured out. Yeah, without question. Uh, one more I wanted to go. Uh, I think Joe Wieskamp has moved up the board, but Isaiah Livers was is like someone I think maybe being a little bit underrated. He's a like perfect modern day foreman, and you saw this at Michigan. He can you know, shoot over forty percent from three, play good defense. Yes, he's injury prone. That might be a slight concern, but with the second round pick, and especially like. Looking here, like the Nets have a bunch of second round picks. The like the Nets could absolutely use someone to play the four and shoot forty percent of the from three. I mean, they have, I guess Kevin Durant's kind of the four, but I mean, you could move Kevin Durant down to the five or Kevin Durant at the three. I mean, and you pair him with uh, Isaiah Livers, who's like an elite forty percent three point shooter. I mean, what else do you want with, like, a second-round pick? So uh, Isaiah Livers, someone I think I've seen, like, at 60 in the mock draft. Like, if I'm early in the second round, I would want to draft someone like Isaiah Livers. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, again, size and shooting. That's what Isaiah Livers brings to the table. That'll find a spot in the NBA. Yeah. Um, anyone else uh, you want to touch on? Uh, not really. I think that I think that about does it. Okay. Well, it was kind of a shorter, I guess, edition of the podcast. Last one went two hours, so we wanted to keep it a little bit short for you guys. But, yeah, another podcast in the books. Uh, next week's podcast. Um, Maybe some conference previews soon. Yeah. We'll probably do, like, a NBA draft podcast yeah, next week. And then, yeah, I think we could do, like, conference previews. Um, just, I guess from, I know you're starting the mid-major top 100 player list. Mm-hmm. I am slowly putting together the top 100 overall player list. So we'll have both of those. And as out. long as Drew Timmy's number one, then the rest doesn't matter. Okay. Yep. Drew Timmy's number one. He's number one on, well, he might be number one on my mid-major list. We'll see, I guess. Right. Are you going to include Gonzaga players? Yeah, I am this year. I didn't last year, but I will this year. Okay, well then he's number one. Yeah, that's the, that's the only like caveat. If you don't include Gonzaga players, then Drew Timmy can't be number one on the list. Exactly, that's part of the thing there. I, I had to do it. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in, and till next time, uh, talk talk to you then.